G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round two review. Uh, another fantastic weekend of footy. I reckon uh, we can already agree that football 2021 style is looking a fair bit better than it did last year. Some ripping games, some thrillers, uh, some real controversy, plenty to talk about. And we will have a full rundown on each of the nine men's games and the final round of the AFLW competition. And boy, that had some drama going on there too. So heaps to talk about, as I say, a very good evening to my footy Aussie co-host, Mark Fine. What do you like most about this weekend, Finey? Well, the continuum. First of all, I like going to the football. I was back at the footy for a couple of games. I definitely... Uh, like the concept of going to the football. Don't know if I enjoyed the results. But the, the I think the die is cast. We are watching a better version of AFL football this year than we have for quite a few years. Unfortunately, or well, now it's fortunately, we seem to have come and the light at the end of the tunnel has been reached. It is a far better brand of football. Even today at Hawthorne Richmond, which was a... Pretty dull game of football, to be honest. Richmond held Hawthorne at arm's length. Young kids sitting around, uh, myself and my daughter, were actually saying, see, this is better. Footy's better. What people hate more than anything, more than the stoppages, I think fans hated the sideways kicking and the slow-motion football going sideways. We don't have a lot of that anymore, Rowan. No, uh, tackles uh, well down so far this year on uh, last year, and that's big for me. I mean, that's not too... Uh, I guess, scale down the importance of the defensive aspects of the game. But I just think it had got out of whack. And just to be able to see some of the most fundamental skills of the game exhibited more frequently, that has been great. We don't want to jump too early. We've seen more open starts to seasons previously before it all starts getting wound down and the coaches tactically are able to weave their defensive webs. But fingers crossed, I reckon the balance right now is about right and... uh, Let's hope this continues. I'll tell you what will always continue, Finey, and that is the absolutely fantastic service and the beautiful produce of a certain fast food establishment in Albert Park. Can you tell me about it, please? Yeah, you know, you you make changes when your product, whether it's uh, a code of football or a hamburger, is not living up to expectations and basically not pulling the people through the front door. That's when you make changes. And that's why we don't see changes at Andrews Hamburgers. Their tried and tested formula, so simple. I don't know why uh, others have not cottoned onto it, but they haven't. So simple that we love a burger, which is just simple, but perfectly made with beautiful produce. The beautiful beef, the beautiful buns, the fresh vegetables, all put together freshly, lovingly at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Look, I, I, I eulogise this mob. 
for good reason. Well, they because, haven't died, have they? Well, I'm saying, but it sounds as though they have, doesn't it? You know, I mean, that that people say that, yeah, you sound like you're reading a eulogy. Yeah, yeah, nothing but praise. They're far from dead, far from dead, even though they're octogenarians, 82 years young. But you can do nothing other than find just wonderful product there and no, I, I, I'm serious. I, I see no faults. I see no faults. All right. Well, you've wrapped them up. Now tell us where they are. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. All right. And uh, seeing you wrap them up so well, you can wrap up the greatest home renovators in the universe. Well, that's a big call because I know they put together a beautiful house on Alpha Centauri and other galaxies beyond. But for the known universe of our people, our fans and us, which is Melbourne, Australia, uh, you can't go past where, and, and Victoria, West Point Properties. Well, we've got fans outside of Victoria, of course. Move to Melbourne. Get a house built by West Point Properties, Dick's Bartels. <laughs> You'll be delighted. I'll tell you what else you can't go past. For quality statistical analysis and some great reading as well, that is our uh, partner for AFL Season 2021, Stats Insider, Stats Insider are a sports and data-driven industry leader. They provide model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, simulating an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-game live and season projections, Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. And in fact, I'll be penning a column for them tomorrow morning. Should be up on their website around about lunchtime. Everything's free to use on their site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Check us out too, because we're about to go into vast and graphic detail about what was a fantastic weekend of football. Let's do it right now. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, round two kicked off on Thursday evening at the MCG. Uh, great crowd turning out. Uh, I'm told it was, to that stage anyway, well, still, actually, the largest crowd assembled in the Southern Hemisphere post-COVID. Thus far, of course, we hope that'll be well and truly beaten as this season continues. 51,723 people at the MCG, and they witnessed a pretty good win by the Collingwood Football Club over their traditional rivals, Carlton. Their final scores, Collingwood 16-10, 106, defeating the Blues 13-7, 85. The goal kickers for the Pies, Dugowie 4, Majacek 3, 2 each to Elliot and Cox. Of course, Elliot being injured and he will miss a slice of football. Unfortunate, he is so cursed with injury, that man. Great player when he's on song. For the Blues, four goals to Mackay, three each to Martin and Gibbons. Uh, the Pies got the break early on, fine. He was six goals to three in that first term. I wouldn't say held the Blues at arm's length because Carlton remained a chance, but three goals to one in the final term. Ice the game. Uh, some tremendous players for the Pies. Taylor Adams, outstanding in midfield. Darcy Moore, outstanding in defence. Boys put together two terrific games for them. 
thus far. Jordan Degoe, instrumental up forward with those four goals. Four goals to Harry Mackay. He was uh, a real Trojan for the Blues. Uh, how'd you see this game? Well, I, I saw it vastly differently live as to what I imagined was going to happen. Call it part of the new revolution in football, but did many of us see Collingwood kicking 16 goals 10? It just hasn't been Collingwood for the last couple of years. And from round one this year against the Doggies, it didn't look like it was going to be Collingwood this year, but they got with the program and became a more attacking team, taking advantage of the opportunities afforded by the man on the mark rule, which definitely allows players who have the ball from a mark or a free kick to choose their own destiny, not having uh, cribbing and not, not having that sort of lateral movement cut off. Collingwood adjusted well, didn't they? Not just the fact that they were able to get the ball down into the forward line, and my check was there, Cox occasionally, but also they were able to get a real result out of their on-ball division and their smaller and mid-sized forwards. And to that end, of course, Jordan Dugowie, who is always going to be the beneficiary of quick play because one-on-one Dugowie is a nightmare. If you're an opposition fan and you see whoever your hero is one-on-one with Dugowie, you've got that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. And that's what we want to see in footy, those one-on-one clashes. As for the, as for the Blues, you know what? They're Norton too. They haven't been horrible. But it's all a bit similar, isn't it, with Carlton? My one growing concern for them is the bashing that Cripps has taken in his career so far. At the moment, on the evidence of last year and early this year, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Rowan, has that dulled Cripps? Because, gee, we've seen this weekend again the likes of you know, the true stars, Bontempelli and Martin, winning matches of football. Cripps... He just seems to be a slightly battered version of a champion, not capable of reaching those great heights. Yeah, he does. And uh, I guess that's a reflection on the failure of enough Carlton midfielders to sort of rise to at least something approaching those heights. Now, I've been thinking a bit, fair bit about Carlton because there's no doubt their supporters were very antsy after this game. They are running out of patience. And look, I, I don't blame them on the one hand. On the other hand, I would my counsel to them would be just hang in there a bit longer because I don't think that they're far away at all. We're starting to see this process taking place. Sam Walsh, I think, is going to another level. I think he can offer that support. I think the inclusions of both Adam Sard and Zach Williams are going to be really, really critical for them generating more of that outside run. Look, sure, they need a few others to jump on board. And to that extent, I thought the game of Fogarty, the former Geelong player, was pretty encouraging for them. I think Jack Martin's encouraging. So I don't think they're far away. They've also played the reigning Premier and a Collingwood side, which, look, you know, I don't think Collingwood are great, but I think they're a pretty capable side and certainly a potential finalist. So... It's not the end of the world. I know we've said that about the Blues for a while, but I definitely think there is more substance to that belief now than there was even 12 months ago. It's easy to say when you don't barrack for a team, trust me, because I barrack for a team that's been mediocre for two decades, I guess similarly to the Blues. 
But I honestly look at them. I think they play an exciting brand of footy. I think their skill level is what lets them down, skill level and decision-making. But I think that gets better as some of the younger guys on that side get more footy under their belts, the likes of Paddy Dow, for example. Collingwood, well, um, their game, no doubt about that. Look, Taylor Adams is a terrific leader for them. Pendlebury's Pendlebury. I think they've got their share of underrated players too. I really like what um, Noble was starting to to do coming out of that defensive structure. I think Jordan Ruffhead is serially underrated. So there's no doubt they're in the finals mix. Uh, I don't think they're good enough to, to go all the way, but I think they'll certainly play a, a pivotal role in um, how the top of the ladder pans out in 2021. Your, your final thoughts on this game? Oh, I think you're being very kind to Carlton. They don't, and it's a style of football that they've decided to employ. They don't put enough pressure on. They don't tackle enough. I know tackles are not huge currency anymore, but it's been quite clear in the first two games that they are very, they're, they're attack-minded. They go about their own business. The inclusions of Saad and Williams certainly give them more run and drive. But again, it takes, it takes them even further down the pecking order for pressure. And they're going to just get eaten alive if they don't put pressure on teams because there's so many skillful teams out there that are going to feast on that. They need to find, they, they need to be able to do both. And, and that's what makes a really good team. And I don't think that they're looking anything like a team that can apply pressure or defensive or, or put the defensive clamps on the side. Yeah, well, I understand that point of view. Uh, certainly big games for both next week. Uh, Magpies now one and one They've got a massive game up at the Gabba on, uh, and we still think it's going to be at the Gabba as we record this. Obviously, COVID uh, up in Queensland has thrown a spanner in the works, but at this stage, that game will proceed as scheduled, 7.40 on Thursday evening, Brisbane and Collingwood. That's a great test for the Pies, who are one and one. The Blues, meanwhile, on Easter Sunday, will be playing Fremantle, at Marvel Stadium, likewise, that is a great test for them. 0-2, they certainly need a win sooner than later. All right, that was Thursday evening. Let's move on to Friday. Friday evening at GMHBA Stadium. Well, this was a great game. It was a dramatic finish. It was a controversial finish. And in the end, it was the Cats who prevailed by the solitary point. 12 goals, 9-81, defeating Brisbane perhaps an unfortunate Brisbane, 11-14-80. The goals to the Cats, three to Hawkins, two each to Tui. Evans, the debutante, who was impressive in patches, and two goals to the skipper, Joel Selwood. For Brisbane, four goals to Hipwood and two to Charlie Cameron. Well, Geelong got out of the blocks better, and in the end, that was the decisive period of this game, 5-3 to 2-5. At halftime, but the Lions finally hung in admirably during the course of this game with an injured ruckman, Oscar McInerney. Trojan effort by him to keep battling for the bulk of the game. Had plenty of the footy, particularly in the third quarter, but couldn't convert enough of those opportunities. But started to do that in the last term. They kicked the first four goals of the final quarter to hit the front, but with only about three minutes left. Beautiful piece of ruck work from Tomahawk. Got the ball to Isaac Smith, who put the Cats in front. And then the great controversy, the non-free kick, Mark Blitzarves tackled 
only about five metres from his defensive goal by Zach Bailey. Inexplicably, the umpire calling play on, not paying holding the ball. The AFL subsequently coming out on Saturday and conceding that that was an error. The free kick should have been paid. And wouldn't that make you feel even worse if you're Chris Fagan or the Lions or any of their supporters? For that matter, not much consolation. The Cats getting up by one point in their first game at home this year. I didn't see anything from either side to make me think any less or really any more of either of their prospects. I knew they were two pretty good teams. I'm no less convinced they're still two pretty good teams. So um, not too much damage done for Brisbane. Although, having said that, they are now 0-2. Need to get a win up this week in what will be a big game against Collingwood. What'd you make of this one, Fanny? Well, they can certainly consider themselves unlucky, Brisbane. You did um, quite eloquently put the case that has been answered by the AFL for the Brisbane winning that game at the death knock with that tackle. Of course, there was a worse decision that we talked about in footyology final siren that went Geelong's way in the third quarter when, you know, inexplicably, uh, a Selwood goal was allowed after... Um, I'm trying to remember who had the ball. Um, anyway, uh, Cam Guthrie. Thank you. Cam Guthrie um, spun 720, well, spun three times, held the ball and then threw it netball style to Selwood a metre away who goaled. Anyhow, look, Brisbane also shot themselves in the foot when you've got a, a, your key forward kicking four but missing one from the top of the goal square and you lose by a point. Well, maybe you don't look at the umpires. Maybe you look at yourselves. You can only control the controllables, can't you? And surely you can control uh, kicking a goal from the top of the goal square. I thought that they were the better team for the bulk of the game. But Geelong had one asset that got them over the line at the end that was never attended to, never addressed by their opponents. And that was, now I know McInerney was injured, but Tom Hawkins has become a powerhouse forward ruckman from throw-ins around the goals. Now, that's how the game was won. You... Uh, told us that that's uh, the passage of ball to Isaac Smith and that's how the game was won. It was it can come as no surprise, Rowan. So, in a way, whilst I feel that Brisbane were unlucky, I also feel that they were not attentive, attentive, attentive enough to the obvious danger of Hawkins, the ruckman, and they paid, in football terms, the ultimate price of losing the game. Almost justice served because if you don't attend to those things they do come back to bite you on the backside don't they yeah and there's no doubt we did talk about this on footyology final siren as well tomahawk the preeminent forward 50 ruckman in the competition he creates a heap of goals as well as getting him himself gee he's a great player um don't know what the prognosis is on McInerney at this stage but boy brisbane will have their fingers crossed because his loss would really um, throw a spanner in the works of their plans. You'd think Joe Danaher having to step into the breach and do a bit of the ruck work there. Um, But that would detract, if he was to do more of that, detract from the tandem they're trying to set up between he and Hipwood. That's an interesting one too. Two games in might take them a bit of time to gel as a combination. They strike me as fairly similar key forwards, which could potentially be a problem. But, look, we saw Jack Rewalt and Tom Lynch work out their partnership, not after a little bit of adjusting. So I think they can certainly become a better side in terms of 
forward conversion. Uh, their accuracy, gee, it's, it's bitten them on the bum a few times in the last couple of years and probably wasn't great for them again on Friday night. 11-14 versus 12-9 conversion. Also probably the difference in the end. Big game for them coming up on Thursday night. Uh, I'm pretty confident they can rebound. They'll be, uh, they'll be pretty dirty, I think, on being 0-2 and two at this stage when uh, I think most people would have at least expected them to be 1-1. Of course, that shock loss to Sydney last week. Big game for them. Um, the Cats, grateful to get on the board after their shock loss to Adelaide in round one. And of course, they've got the now traditional Easter Monday clash coming up against the Hawks. And that won't be any pushover because Hawthorne, though they have lost in round two, uh, I think they've given a better account of themselves thus far than some people expected them to do. A uh, quick word on both the Lions and the Cats prospects post the first two rounds, Barney. No, I, I know Paddy Puttons are being pushed yet for obvious reasons because they are teams that have come off very good seasons. Geelong will be much better, much better when they welcome back Duncan first, absolutely Duncan. And also uh, Paddy Dangerfield, Menegola as well. So Duncan missed. And let's just keep a watch on Lockie Neal, a slow start for the Brownlow medalist in 2021. Yeah, good uh, tagging job done by uh, Mark O'Connor on him. All right, that is Thursday and Friday night covered off. Three games on Saturday. Let's get down to business there. First game on Saturday at the SCG between two surprise winners from round one. You could say uh, Sydney, of course, upset Brisbane at the Gabba. Adelaide upset Geelong at home. They came head-to-head. And this was a very, very entertaining game of football. In the end, won pretty comfortably by the Swans uh, by 33 points. However, Crows far from disgraced. Final score, Sydney 18-13-121, defeating a very inaccurate Adelaide 11-22-88. So things could have been different there. They weren't without their chances. And what about the free-scoring Swans? This is a side uh, we've come to know as being dour and defensive and scrappy. Well, they have kicked a total of 37 goals in their first two games this season. Speaking of goals, wasn't it great to see that man, Buddy Franklin, back on deck. He kicked three. Isaac Heaney kicked three for the victors. And two each to Hickey. McDonald, impressive in his first two games. And Warner. Two goals as well. For the Crows, Tex Walker, he's back on song. Five goals last week and six goals this week. McAdam kicking four and uh, just the single to key. So Adelaide's 11 goals being shared among only three players. Pretty even start. The Swans got the break with five goals to just one in the second quarter and managed to hold Adelaide at bay thereafter. Another six goals in that third term. Uh, but the Crows put on some late pressure, five of their own, five, eight in the last quarter. Sydney's lead never really threatened. But um, I thought uh, there were pluses even in defeat for the Crows and super impressed with the Swans. I love what they're bringing to the table, some of those young players. They are a really good side to watch in 2021, Finey. I am... I'm sold. 
You don't need to get... Well done, Rowan. You had them as a smoky for the eight, and I don't care if they fall over. Even at this early stage, they have shown something. Look, they're not falling over. I sent a tweet out at half time. Look, I'm not beholden to AFL fantasy points necessarily uh, at, at ratings score, AFL ratings points, but they are a bit of a guide. So uh, by pressing your buttons on your handheld device or computer, you can rank, you can have the players ranked from best to worst or vice versa. And it was extraordinary that at half time, the three highest rated players on the ground were Errol Goulden, Braden Campbell, and Logan McDonald. All in their second game. Look, to get three, and this was well-deserved, in very different ways, don't they look like accomplished seasoned footballers? The balance and poise of Campbell off the half-back line and his board usage, it's, it's testimony to what his teammates think of him and his quality, that they look for him and distribute the ball to him ahead of more experienced players. It's It's wonderful. Goulden competing in the forward line is exciting. He competes, he tackles, he's wise around the goals. He can kick them or hand them off. And Logan McDonald, what a foil he'll be in the short time he spends with Buddy, two or three, two years, we'll say, because he's a ready-made star, isn't he, that Logan McDonald? He can kick a country mile. So you put those in a team that already looked good at the end of last year. With younger, good to see McInerney back. We're both a, a fan of his. And he showed why we're a fan of his. Good user, good mover, good thinker. Yeah, yeah look, I mean... They they're, have... they're full of them. They're, they're full of these players that are absolutely, um, at different stages of their careers, blossoming. From from second gamers to fourth yearers. Yeah, and I, I think we're noticing the contrast a bit more too because this has been a side that for so long has relied on its, its older hands and, you know, the likes of Kennedy, Parker a score of players who have now retired, uh, Franklin, obviously. But uh, the roll call is just so long. I mean, you mentioned McInerney. You didn't mention Sam Wicks. I know they're huge on him, and I thought he had some really good moments. Chad Warner, I didn't know much about him, but I thought he was really impressive. And nice one finisher. Of, and one of the guys who I know they pumped up, in fact, uh, in Ronnie Werner's Generation Next series of footyology, um, Dean Cox, assistant coach, spoke glowingly about this guy and he w- could only make the 23rd man, the medical emergency, and that's Matthew Ling. So um, it's it's a long roll call of young talent and they've just revitalised their side. Speaking about revitalised, Isaac Heaney's had some injury woes over the last couple of years. He is such an important player for them up forward. Uh, one of the best marks for his size in the competition Really, really dangerous as that medium-sized forward and a great foil for McDonald and now Franklin, who... Well, well, you're saying revitalised, and I thought you were going to say Tom Hickey. He needs a good choice, but there's a player that has absolutely been waiting almost at three clubs to be the number one ruckman. I don't know what it means for Callum Sinclair. doesn't matter because for the Swans, it's good news. Look, Sam Reid barely played a role. But you'd be a fool to yourself and others if you don't think that there'll be weeks that Sam Reid doesn't bob up. You bet he will. And just one last comment. Taylor Walker was fantastic, but he can play for another million games and he's never going to kick four of his, four goals in an afternoon on the back of tackles and holding the ball decisions. I mean, that was brilliant, but rare. Yeah, well, I mean, but credit to him. He's really put his, his head down and his bum up and... 
working working so hard to get that reward and um, good on him, I reckon. Uh, he's a guy who's copped his fair share of stick. Uh, the road ahead for both these teams, uh, well, speaking about tests, the Swans get their acid test next week on Easter Saturday when they play Richmond at the MCG. doesn't get any tougher than that. Adelaide, meanwhile, are playing on Good Friday. We have a Good Friday double header. They are featuring in the second leg, which is between themselves and Gold Coast at Adelaide Oval, 7.50 Eastern Standard Time on Good Friday. And that will be an entertaining game too. Of course, the Suns, pretty capable footy team these days. So good start to the Saturday menu. Uh, That was the entree. What did we have in store for lunch or supper, given the time? Let's talk about that one. Well, this game was always going to be hard work for the visiting team. Not expected to do much this year. Up against uh, a side that is a popular fancy to at least make a grand final and was only six points off a grand final last year. I'm talking about Port Adelaide's game against Essendon. Predictable win to the power and a very, very convincing win in the end too. Disastrous day for Essendon as it transpired, as I will tell you in a minute. Port Adelaide winning 18 goals, 11, 119 to the Bombers, 9, 11, 65. An even nine-goal victory, 54 points. The goals, four goals to big Charlie Dixon. Four goals to Mitch Georgiades, a late inclusion for the power after Todd Marshall was ruled out. Two goals each to Laddams, Motwop, and, of course, Orazio Fantasia playing in what is now popularly known every time a player plays against his old side as a grudge match, but, in fact, was far from that. For the Bombers, three goals to Kyle Hooker playing up forward. Uh, the subject of some contention. Three goals to Anthony McDonald, Tip and Wooty, singles the rest. Well, when I say Essendon disaster, not only did they get uh, smacked on the scoreboard, they got smacked on the injury front. Dylan Shield doing a knee, not the full catastrophe, but uh, we think a torn medial ligament. So you'd be looking at probably three months out for him at this stage. Sam Draper, the old syndesmosis, one of the popular injuries of the last couple of years. Uh, he might be missing a fair chunk of football too. And unfortunately, Jai Caldwell, who I think has been the most impressive of Essendon's midfield contingent thus far, he has strained a hamstring. So you think at least three weeks for him. One thing that became obvious even before those guys were injured, is how little depth Essendon has, particularly at the moment with some other key players missing even before that trio got injured. So it's looking pretty grim for Essendon just two games in. They got smacked. Their frailties and their um, under-resourcedness was brought home to bear finally in every part of the ground. In defence, where they're undersized and under-strengthed, up forward, where Kyle Hooker had to become the key focal point and was missed down back line badly. And in midfield, where they don't have enough pace, don't have enough size, and were well and truly thumped by the Port Midfield contingent. Dark day and dark days for supporters of Essendon. How did you see this going? 
Yeah, it's hard not to talk about the game sort of from the end in reverse because really the big stories happened at the end of the game with those injuries that came quick fire. First of all, the Jai Caldwell hamstring quickly followed by a what seemed to be an ankle injury, but outside ankle, inside ankle syndemosis, which is the last word you want to hear for Draper. And then a crunching tackle leaving Shield in the middle of the ground, Proppy, and then it became obvious more, much worse than Proppy. He couldn't get off the ground on his own steam. He had a bad knee injury. This is cruel luck for Essendon because, as you say, with Heppel not taking the field with a back injury, and there's never anything simple with a Heppel injury, is there? You know, what looks like a couple of weeks for poor old Dyson often ends up to be the season. Hopefully, just spasms back next week. But for the Bombers, their lack of depth could best be exemplified by that defensive lineup that they went into the game with. I don't know. I thought Zerk Thatcher actually showed a bit last year because Aaron Francis cannot play on the biggest forward in the opposition. He gets right, knocked just like just a pinball. Let, yeah, just let me chip in there. So Zerk Thatcher has uh, had injuries to deal with pre-season. He's yep. played uh, two games in the VFL, not looking too sharp from all accounts, but okay. I had a bit of a spat on Twitter about this. I think they should be playing him. I, uh, frankly, I'd be throwing all those young guys into the fray. People say, look, he can harm a young player's development by throwing him in too early. Frankly, we're wrestling a rat. I don't think there's much to lose. I really don't because I think holding him back isn't doing them and it's not doing the senior side any favours either. Hooker has to go back. That that defence will get routinely monstered by other sides. Anyway, before I rave on and on, you continue. Sorry. But there are deficiencies in the Essendon side. There are also, I mean, when I say bright, bright moments or, or causes for optimism, I've got to say, in that last quarter, with those three players down and out, I was actually surprised that, uh, that Essendon was able to put some goals on the board, and they were quite resilient. I admired their endeavour in that last quarter. They leaked a couple of goals late, but I thought that they actually were very, very brave at the end of the game. Don't know if you saw it the same way. As for Port Adelaide, that game was won early, and they put the queue in the rack, just sort of got to 40 or 50 points up. And every time Essendon got a couple, they got a couple. Charlie Dixon was good. The big story, as you said, with George Yardis, he came in, he's a beautiful kick, so he made the most of opportunities and hard to see him getting dropped out of their best 22 for next week. So a pretty easy afternoon for Port, a very difficult afternoon for Essendon. And I actually think that they leave, not with their heads held high, but they could take something out of that last quarter. Well... Yeah, they can, but I just think they do that far too often. The game is shot to ribbons after 15 minutes and it's easy to come away and say, well, you know, we battled on. But, you know, I, I've, uh, it's a bit of the Carlton thing. I think there's no doubt Essendon supporters are well and truly over showing patience. Just quickly, I, I haven't said nearly enough about Port. You've said most of it. I think Aaliyah Aaliyah is going to prove a huge recruit. He will be, I think, the most important recruit of this season for anyone because he just... He can play on the big key forwards. He frees up the likes of Jonas and Cleary to zone off and, and make that defence, which is already pretty good. Uh, just a, a, a little more fully rounded, I think. And that's all that they're missing out on. Their midfielders on song. Boke's still playing great footy. 
They're potent up forward. Uh, they can give it a real shake, make no mistake. And uh, that should be pretty obvious anyway, because they nearly did the uh, the whole thing last year. Next week on the agenda for both these clubs, well, Port, big test for them. They've got to go to Perth to play West Coast, who will be uh, a little bit stung by the events today. Um, so great test for them. And uh, every week's going to be a massive test for Essendon. They've got your mob, who will also be stung. I'd suggest, Viney, that is the twilight game on Saturday. In fact, both those games on Saturday, Saturday twilight and Saturday evening. Okay, that was the twilight game this week. And we had uh, two games to be played on Saturday evening, one in Melbourne and one up on the Gold Coast. Let's talk about the one in Melbourne. Well, I'm just thinking whether you call this result a surprise or not. Perhaps it's not, uh, but you'd certainly be pretty happy thus far if you're a Melbourne supporter. They bested your Saints finey in the Danny Frawley game, and uh, wasn't it very moving um, moments pre-game where Gary Lyon and Stuart Lowe addressed the crowd about uh, mental health and uh, really good gesture Um the cause that this game has been played for, plenty of money raised for the cause as well. The game itself, really good win by Melbourne. They won by 18 points, 12 goals, 19. So wasted a few chances, 91, defeating your Saints, 11-7-73. The goal kickers, well, the Demons shared them around. Three guys kicked each of two, as Peter Landy would have put it. Viney, Kaziah Pickett. What an exciting machine he is. And Tom McDonald too. For the Saints, three to the skipper, Jack Steele. Two to King. Singles the rest. Uh, pretty even, Stevens for the first half. Still pretty even at three-quarter time, although the Demons had started to get the lion's share of the ball and the scoring opportunities. And then manage to get their noses in front and keep them in front. Really good win to them. Some good signs. They are two zip so far. And pretty disappointing result for your Saints, I would have thought, finally, given what was a pretty good win in enemy territory last week against the Giants. How disappointed are you by your side's performance in this game? Yeah, very disappointed. Because they were... Definitely bested in the first quarter. They could have been further behind, but a couple of late goals. Max King was very good in the first quarter. and A couple of late goals probably flattered in the quarter time, but there was only a couple of points in it. And then for the first 10 minutes of the second quarter, St Kilda had everything going. Everything you want from a team that is progressing up the ladder. They were winning the contested ball. They started to put pressure on their opponents through tackling, and causing turnovers, and the numbers at stoppages, the numbers at loose balls started looking more red, white, and black as the game was progressing. They got quickly to about 16 points up, and then a player he just had a shocking evening uh, really put his worst foot forward at that point because for the next five minutes after leading by three goals, St Kilda still had domination, but unfortunately the ball ended up in Brad Hill's hand a few times, and his kicking was, I don't know whether he had his boots on his wrong foot, normally the best part of his game, and it was embarrassing how he was kicking the ball. At one point, he had a clear entry, just storming into 50. Options left, right and centre, but he chose the one, well, far left of centre, because he kicked it out on the full. It was just terrible. 
and Melbourne latched onto the opportunity. Eventually, they were able to even up the contest at the at, at for contested ball, got a couple of goals on the board, and then they won the game. From that point on, actually, the scoreline really flattered St Kilda because their structure was perfect. May and Lever behind, the, you know, at, in the back line, Gorn dropping back. No, no, at no time did St Kilda lower their eyes and take advantage of any possibility of getting the ball to the smaller forwards. The two Richmond boys, Higgins and Butler, provided nothing. In the end, Melbourne could have won by much more. I was very impressed by their structure, impressed by their endeavour, and admitted leaving the ground, I'd underrated one team and overrated another mightily heading to the game. So reassessment time for both of those clubs, a rude awakening for the Saints and more respect deserved for Melbourne. Yeah, look, I've undervalued Melbourne too, I think. But I had an interesting thought after the game. I reckon for 20 years now, whenever the Demons have looked at their best, it's always been with the presence and the influence of an exciting small forward. You go back to Jeff Farmer. That was the case in the late 90s, early 2000s. You had uh, Aaron Davey. And now I think you've potentially got another one with Kaziah Pickett. Uh, that first goal he kicked, geez, that was a great goal. I had, to watch, oh yeah, I had to watch it a few times. Just busting out of two pretty strong tackles in the, in the space of a phone booth and then snapping over his shoulder. And his second goal snapped over his shoulder from a fair distance out. Boy, he has got some serious talent, and you're going to start seeing more of it, I think, by the week. And he just makes them more dynamic. You know, look, when they made the preliminary final uh, in 2018, it was a great effort. And it was sort of on the back of, obviously, better forward conversion. That came through an army of midfielder forward types. We had Jake Melksham kicking goals, Petrarca was kicking goals. You had uh, Mitch Hannon, who's no longer there, kicking goals. And they've still got a bit of that, haven't they? Um, you know, Melksham does that when when he's in the lineup. Uh, Bailey Fritch can play that role too. But that terrier-like forward, smaller of stature, to put on that defensive pressure, create opportunities out of nowhere, and just add a bit of pace and zip near the goal face. I think the more I think about it, we've talked a lot about Melbourne's poor conversion despite the fact it wins plenty of footy. But I reckon someone like that could make a huge difference in converting that amount of um, ball and amount of inside 50s they generate two scores on the board. So uh, he, he could be a really critical player for them by season's end, I think. Um, yeah, I might have to revise where I've got them too. And your Saints, look, I thought they were pretty impressive last week because I didn't think GWS were that bad last week. But, uh, yeah, disappointing. And maybe that's the message the Saints are going to have to tell themselves a bit this year to not get too far ahead of themselves because they had a little bit of that taste about it, I thought. A lot of that taste about it. Like, hey, Rowan, just like um, going down in a soccer game, if you're going to go down and concede a goal, you want to do it in the first five minutes, not the last five. So you've got 85 minutes to solve the problem. Better that this happens in round two than later on in the year because that is exactly what a few... that They were ahead of themselves. That is exactly what they were, well well surmised. All right. Uh, well, next week, they've got a good chance to restore some confidence because they come up against my battling bombers. 
and that could be pretty ugly. And the Demons, well, decent test for them. They have got the Giants uh, in Canberra too. The Giants now will be on the road for some time with the Easter show going on in Sydney. So the first of their Canberra home games and the Demons heading to Monica Oval to take on the Giants on Easter Sunday. Okay, well, while that Saturday night was go- uh, game was going on at Marvel Stadium, there was another one going on at Metricon. Well, Gold Coast were uh, pretty brave in what ended up being a narrowish round one defeat over in Perth against the might of West Coast at home. Um, but they certainly got the win, first win for the season on the board in pretty emphatic style on Saturday evening against North Melbourne. Ooh, could be a tough year for the Kangaroos. Uh, big win for Gold Coast, 14 14 98 defeating North Melbourne, just 5-9-39. The goals, three to big Ben King, three to Isaac Rankin, two to Sexton. They were the multiples for the Suns. Just single goal kickers for North, Goldstein, Larky, Powell, Scott and Thomas. Uh, really, from go to woe, the Suns were dominant both in general play and on the scoreboard, 3-4 to 1-2. At halftime, they improved that lead significantly in the second term with six goals to the Roos, one. So nine goals to two at halftime, game effectively over. And uh, then, well, it wasn't even goal for goal then. In fact, North won the third term with three goals to two, but the Suns adding another three in the last while the Roos were held goalless, a pretty hapless bunch by the end of that game. Some really good signs again for the Suns, even without Matt Rowell. Number least, his uh, number two draft cohort from that very lucrative draft a couple of years back, Noah Anderson. Great game by him. He ended up with 35 disposals. Brandon Ellis, he's played some terrific footy for the Suns thus far in his season and a bit, and he ended up with 33 disposals. Another guy who is now consistently playing good football, Jack Bowes, handed up with 31 touches, took Miller 31. So the leading four possession getters on the ground, all Suns players, uh, of course, big Ben King up forward gives them a pretty reasonable target. Their strong midfield, um, Hugh Greenwood has added plenty to that mix. Lockie Weller has been a great pickup for them. Darcy McPherson is a player that uh, you don't necessarily hear a heap about, but he's pretty important for them too. What can you say about the Roos, Finey? Well, Jed Anderson came back into the lineup and was pretty serviceable for them. He ended up with 27 disposals. Other tries for the Roos, well, Kane Turner had a crack. Todd Goldstein always has a crack. Uh, Bonner and Young um, look like they will add a bit for the Roos, but uh, gee, not a lot to shout about for them. And like I said... I think wins are going to be pretty few and far between for them. How'd you say this one? Well, I saw it, unfortunately, from the perspective of North Melbourne as doom and gloom. The, how unlucky are they? They find out that Robbie Tarrant is more serious than they thought during the week with his adductor problems, out for a month at least. And then Aiden Core, their recruit, from GWS, who was holding up the defence of tall defensive post, 
he's out for multiple weeks as well, it appears. Now, that leaves them with just a paucity of height down the back liner. You know, he's a good serviceman, Josh Walker, but when a club says that they need two Josh Walkers, they're in a bit of trouble, I would have thought. This is a side that doesn't have Ben Cunnington because of concussion problems. Uh, you know, they had to live three horrible years with Ben Jacobs, not knowing when he would come back. The answer was never. So it must be deja vu of the worst type. They've got very few experienced players to navigate them through this difficult period. On the other hand, Gold Coast, the promise that they showed against West Coast, I'm glad that they reaped dividends the week after because they, you know, we know West Coast are a strong unit. To go over there and lead them into the last quarter in the first game of the season was a mighty effort. Their back line's very functional. They've got run and skillful poise out of the back line with the likes of Ellis and uh, Will Powell gets back there. We know that they've got uh, the boy Collins. What a good pickup. So, We'll be interested to see. Good challenge for them next week against Adelaide. That's a fascinating game, actually, isn't it? Both teams prob- probably over, not overperformed. Would be the supporters of both teams would be optimistic heading into that game. Yeah, look, I uh, should mention injury concerns for the Suns too. Sam Day and uh, Connor Butterick both on crutches at the end of that game. So. Fingers crossed they're not out for too long because two pretty important players for them. Just quickly on the Roos, I'm pretty worried about Nick Larkey fine. It's always going to be tough for a, a key forward, particularly one as inexperienced as him in a struggling side. But so little support down there for him in terms of key position uh, forwards that uh, I think oppositions are just going to be able to concentrate all their aerial energies on him. And uh, I can see his confidence and touch heading south simultaneously. So, uh, Do you reckon they should run, run him in the ruck a bit, let Goldie go forward? Not because that would necessarily be the best thing for the team, but it, you're right. It would at least give Larky a chance to get some, some possessions and get some confidence in his game because otherwise he could leave this season a bit of a shattered young man. You've been talking to Robert Walls. He's always a fan of that idea and out of sorts, key position player, give him a run in the ruck. But look, they could probably do worse. Goldie can kick goals going forward, but uh, there's not a lot in the locker there for the Roos. And uh, like other sides down the bottom of the ladder, can ill afford injuries to key players. And as you detailed, they've got plenty going on at the moment. Uh, next week, as you say, uh, really intriguing game for the Suns. They play Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. Supporters of both fans will think that is a real chance of getting a win. And Good Friday and uh, big home game for the Roos. The Good Friday game they've campaigned so heavily for and uh, got against the Western Bulldogs. Ooh, tough opponent to come up against the Bulldogs. Pretty sharp start to this season. And uh, again, you, you hope it doesn't, but you fear that that one could get ugly. That, incidentally, is at 4.20pm on Good Friday. Okay. Well, that... well, can I just ask you a question quickly, given that we've just discussed Essendon and North? Between them, how many of those two clubs won out of their last 30 games? Uh, off the top of my head, well, Essendon won, I think, six and a half last year. Um, yeah, I was saying the last 15 each. Yeah, Weston only won one of their last 10 last season and they've now lost the first two. And the Roos, I don't think, won after about oh, very early last season. Uh, not a lot 
is my answer in summary. All right, that is Saturday football wrapped up. Uh, Big Sunday of football for round two. Let's talk about that. First game on Sunday afternoon at the MCG, it was Hawthorne playing as the home side against Richmond. Not much of a home ground advantage there at the MCG. In the end, a pretty comfortable 29-point victory to the Tigers. 11 goals, 12, 78, defeating the Hawks, 7-7-49. The goals, four goals to Jack Rewalt. He looks sharp thus far in his start to 2021. Two goals to Tom Lynch, two goals to Jason Castagna. And for the Hawks, two each to Bruce and Tyler Brockman. We always want to call him Kent of Simpsons fame, but it's Kent's son, Tyler. Two each to Bruce and Brockman. Singles, the rest. Well, you can have a crack at this one, Finey. My observation is, and I did see the whole game, I thought Hawthorne kept the Tigers pretty honest for the bulk of this match. It's just they just didn't have the armoury or the strength or the experience to go with them. But I don't think the Hawks should come away from this too downhearted. I thought they gave a pretty reasonable account of themselves. But again, having said that, it shows just how good Richmond are. They don't have to be at their absolute best and can still win games convincingly by flexing muscle at the appropriate time. No one, of course, does that better than the best player in the game. We all know who I mean, Dustin Martin. Terrific again today with a stack of disposals, setting up goals, um, kicking them himself. Only the one today, but he gave off several and uh, did it whenever uh, they looked, and it wasn't often, whenever they looked threatened. In fact, this game did go goal for goal for, uh, I think, about 12 goals. They were swapping goals, but the margin was always either four goals or three goals. And in the end, the Tigers just put the foot down, away they went, and uh, pretty comfortable win, Finey. You're at this game. What was your observation from the alpha? You know, I don't think a great club like Hawthorne would like leaving the game being basically the mouse that was tortured by a cat for two hours before being finally dispatched. Because that's what happened today. They are in two different classes. Hawthorne's endeavour was admirable. And they had possibly the second best player on the ground, the very impressive Jyeth. Gee, he played well. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? As, isn't yeah. he exciting? He's athletic and yeah. he, he backs himself too. That's, and he makes mistakes, but he's yeah, made a, a couple really of blues. Player. Made a couple of blues, but that's okay. Because for, oh, sorry, I might be watching another game. Um, <laughs> jeepers. The, I, I've got to say that Richmond, look, we know that... Dustin Martin is a superstar, absolutely a superstar. What they have in an immeasurable quantity is a single-mindedness and a discipline to do the right thing as per team instructions every time. I have never seen a team so disciplined in spoiling when it's time to spoil, running forward of the ball when it's time to run forward of the ball, Gang tackling, but they don't. It's not ad hoc. It is all well and truly drilled into these players. They know just, what they're doing. Can I just chip in there? We will long after this Richmond goal near is over. There will be one phrase that keeps resounding in my head, and I think more people will get across uh, the the more we study this era. It is 
position, not possession. Their positioning is the best I've seen of any football side. Well, that, that just speaks volumes of discipline, doesn't it? Because it's the disciplined footballer that goes to the right place rather than is lured by the ball. You know, Hawthorne shot themselves in the foot a bit today and people might say bad field kicking undid them a number of times. It actually wasn't bad kicking. It's not like the ball was coming off the boot wrong. It was terrible choices. Uh, they were, a lot of their players looking further afield for options were dreaming, you know, hoping that, you know, young Ollie Hanrahan could outmark Nathan Broad or that it just, it didn't happen the first time, third time, fifth time or 19th time. And that's, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. I think they'll look at the tape of the game, Hawthorne, and realise that in the contest they were pretty good. But with ball in hand, they were naive. They were, I would call them optimistic at times, whereas Richmond are realistic. Even for a brilliant team like them, they play the percentages. They don't dick around. They play the percentages. And I think that's the beauty of their greatness, that they don't bite off more than they can chew, and they chew it all, and they chew it up, and they win games. Yeah, uh, like I said, though, I, I I was pretty impressed with Hawthorne. Obviously impressed with their second half comeback against my side last week. But uh, I, I thought they were pretty decent today. Will Day, fingers crossed for him because it uh, looked like it could be a serious ankle injury. And he's going to be important for them. A really good young player in that back line. But, um, you know, Kaczynski looks all right. He's going to be a prospect. We love uh, Jarth. I think he's going to be terrific for them. Uh, Tom Phillips, I think, is a pretty good pickup for them as well. So, you know, not without some light on the horizon for the Hawks. And uh, talk about the definition of insanity. It's the absolute opposite for Richmond because they do the same thing repeatedly, but it works. So they keep doing it. And they but keep they're doing... not expecting a different outcome. In fact, they're very confident of the same outcome. That's the beauty of it. Well, they do get the same outcome. And, and this is a testament to the system, isn't it? Everyone knows what their system is but no one has been able to defeat them at their system when it matters most. So uh, absolutely the standard setter in the AFL going to be very hard to beat for a premiership hat-trick, I believe. That was the first game on Sunday, the second rip-snorting match, this one at Marvel Stadium. Let's have a chat about that. Best game of the season thus far. Admittedly, it's a small sample, but gee, this was an entertaining, tense game of football between two very good sides. In the end, it was the home team that prevailed. That was the Western Bulldogs beating West Coast by seven points at Marvel Stadium. 14-16, 100. The Doggies defeating the Eagles, 14-9-93. Neck and neck. The whole game. I, I don't know what the biggest margin was, but I'd uh, be staggered if it was much more than about two goals. West Coast uh, actually getting out to a couple of goal lead early in the last quarter. The Bulldogs hitting back. Bruce and Norton reduced West Coast leads to a point. Vandermeer put the doggies in front. Darling and uh, Jones kicked goals to give the Eagles the edge again. It was Aaron Norton who put the doggies up by a point. Uh, the Eagles struck back again before Marcus Bontempelli with about a minute left on the clock, marked about, what, 45 out. 
took some time off the clock when he kicked the goal, which put them seven points up, just 23-6 seconds left and victory ensured. Just an outstanding game of football, this. Great players on either side. William Ryan, what a showman he is. Bailey Williams, big moments for him at the end of this game. The goal kickers, three goals to Josh Bruce. Vastly improved performance from him this week. Three to that man, the Bont. What a game he played. Three to Aaron Norton, otherwise now known as Paul Gray from Wawanee. And for the Eagles, four to Josh Kennedy. Four, uh, three to Jack Darling. Three to Jones. Two to Allen. And he was a big factor too before he got injured. And two to Flying Ryan. How good a game did you think this was, Flying? Geez, I found it entertaining. Rowan, in 10 years' time, when Fox Footy are looking to fill their summer schedule and they go to various, you know, replays of the season and then get into great games of all time, I hope that they do not forget this one. If we agree that football in 2021 is a better version than the game that we've seen in recent years, then I'll go out on a limb and say this is as good a game as I've seen for five years because it had all the attacking brilliance. A, all right, let's tick some boxes. Attacking football right to the very end. Yes? Yes. Tick. Never more than two goals apart. A seesawing battle. Love it. Tick. The stars were on show. Bond and Pelly brilliant. How good was Navanui in the ruck? That ruck display was absolutely, it was just mind-boggling and, and, and befitting of this heavyweight title that the stars strutted their stuff. Liam Ryan almost took the stellar mark of the century, but he still was able to provide brilliance. There were moments of, of brain fades. You need them in great games. Caleb Daniels, such a good ball user, the worst kick across the goal since Gubby Allen. It was, it was calamitous. Mm. But that just added to the intrigue of this game. Umpiring decisions that were, for Bulldogs fans, infuriating. I can understand their disappointment at getting penalised for holding the ball in the last quarter and not getting a very similar one down the other end. But again, just added to the intrigue of a game that had deserved winners in either camp. Doggies win. West Coast will regroup and still be a genuine player for the flag. What a heavyweight battle. I could not sing that game's praises more highly. Uh, You know, my only regret is that I've already seen it. I'd love to see it again with fresh eyes. Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned Nat and Nui, and we all know how great he is. But uh, in, in terms of his importance to that side, the one period of this side uh, of this game where West Coast really did get on top was that third quarter, of course, six goals to three. But there was a period there, um, and it may have even ended up more than this, but at one stage, West Coast won 10 of 11 clearances, all of them coming from Natanui's dominance. He, he is the foundation of basically everything attacking and in terms of scoring that they do. Unbelievable. More, more influence over them, I think, than Dustin Martin has over Richmond, say. He's of more importance to them structurally. Oh, yeah. yeah. He is. He is without, Nat, without Natanui, that midfield is pretty thin. Can, well, I just mention, can I mention one player? You know, we spoke about those three swans, overnight successes, Goulden, Campbell and McDonald. Yep. West Coast Eagles have got a player. He must be five years in the making at least. 
but gee, I saw some things from Rotham, or is it Rotham or Rotham? Uh, well, BT was calling him Rotham, but that's not necessarily a guide. He's pretty impressive. They, they've yeah. really shown a lot of belief in him. And there were times t- tonight where I could understand why they have. So some players burst on the scene, others take a long time to develop, but I think he's going to be a very good player. Yeah, he is. Well, actually, just, uh, I mean, not necessarily among their best today, but Bailey Williams' last couple of minutes were so important, and particularly that last contest he won, where I think pretty sure he was outnumbered almost one to three, certainly one against two. Um, So uh, he's been a a bit of a slow burner for them too. Bailey Dale, really good player for the Bulldogs now. Yes, uh, And, and the young boy, number 30, is that McNeil? It is McNeil. Did he do some clever things, including that beautiful offsided kick and then getting the ball back in the third quarter where he kicked it long to Wallace, who dropped it? That was great football. All right, I think there's one important reason why the Eagles shouldn't be too down in the dumps about this. Obviously, they would have rather have won. But you mentioned the thinness of the midfield, and I still agree with you. However, uh, that looks a lot different when you add in the names Shuey and Yo. Uh, we believe Shuey is a pretty good chance to come back next week. Yo, uh, a bit further away, but apparently starting to get some decent miles in the leg. So they would make a considerable difference to a midfield yep. that is a little bit light on in terms of quantity, not necessarily quality. Outstanding game of footy. Great advertisement for AFL 2021. Next week, as we've said with their opponents, the Bulldogs are taking on North Melbourne on Good Friday, 4.20pm. And the Eagles, what a cracking game this is going to be. Saturday evening at Optus Stadium in Perth. The Eagles taking on Port Adelaide. Can't wait to watch that one. Two very entertaining sides going head-to-head. All right, that is eight games down, one to go. Speaking of Perth, this game was played over there. Let's have a chat about that one. And round two was completed in Perth, the last game on Sunday at Optus Stadium between Fremantle and GWS. And it resulted in another emphatic, if slightly wayward, victory to the Dockers. 11 21 87 31-point victors over the Giants, 7-14-56. Don't be fooled by that uh, margin of 31 points or even the Giants' final scoreline because this was a shellacking. Uh, The Dockers, as you can tell by their scoreline, could have won by considerably more and indeed restricted the Giants to just one goal at halftime. The halftime score, the Dockers 5-12, to the Giants, hapless, one goal, nine. The goal kickers, three to Schultz. What a pity there's no more Hogan at Fremantle, seriously. Two to Brayshaw, two to Switkowski, and two to Tabiner for the Giants. Just four goal kickers for them. Two of each, or each of two. There's Peter Wendy again. Himmelberg, two. Green, two. And Sproul too. And uh, look, the Dockers were very disappointing last week against Melbourne. They were fumbly. Uh, They appeared to be lacking in energy. Well, I sure as hell made up for it in this game. They hit the ground running 4-6 in that first term. Obviously could have been even more productive. But they won the ball everywhere. 
their leaders were on song. I guess, Fidey, probably the biggest thing coming out of this game in a new sense is an apparent concussion suffered by Nat Fife, who was taken from the field not to return. So you think that rules him out for at least the next game of Frio's, which happens to be against Carlton next week. Uh, interesting, a collision with uh, the giant Sam Reed. I've had a look at it a couple of times now, and it just it looks like Sam Reed basically just holds his ground and Fife isn't sort of alert to his presence and runs into him. Does Reed end up having to uh, wear the consequences of that? It will be an interesting case for the match review officer. How did you see this game and how do you see that incident? Well, the incident, I exonerate Sam Reed. The player, as the, I understand the rule, a player has, in all, to, you know, in all reasonable um, circumstances, he's allowed to play the ball, he's allowed to hold his position. He didn't go out of his way to bump or take out Nat Fife, and I think uh, he did what was reasonable in the circumstance to um, hold his position in going for the ball. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I've got him getting off at this stage yeah. because I, I think yes. if he is to go for that, you're effectively saying that a player has to jump out of the way of a player who's coming at him, and you can't have that. There has to be a... I'm all for protecting the head, but uh, there has to be a line drawn somewhere. Surely you have to be able to at least hold your ground and not jump out of the way. So, yeah, I, I think he'll get off. Look, it's unfortunate, though. We No one wants to see anyone concussed, and particularly the best players in the competition. So it uh, could be a costly loss for them, particularly with Michael Walters, uh, I think, still out for a couple more. So uh, we'll certainly test their manpower. Although, having said that, Finey, um, gee, they had a host of good players today, the Dockers. Host of prolific ball winders. Uh, winders? Winners. The ageless David Mundy had 35 disposals. Andrew Brayshaw, 32. Adam Chera, 28. And they will be wrapped to see those names up there because it's now not just the old stages, those younger types really beginning to make their presence felt. As for the Giants... Well, don't say we didn't t tell you so. I just uh, I was really worried about them towards the end of last year. More worried after I watched the Making Their Mark documentary because it didn't appear like communication or relations even were that great between coach and players. And I'm not seeing a lot of inspiration or a lot of hope for the immediate future coming out of the Giants camp, which, again, I know we've said this a bit, but pretty remarkable when you consider that only, what, 18 months or so ago, they were playing off for a premiership. They're pretty disappointing, though. Well, Rowan, I mean, their problems sort of compound a bit, don't they? Like, they don't have their home ground. Or, look, they play in Canberra, but... As far as sort of going back home and hunkering down, as Fremantle were able to do against Melbourne after losing to Melbourne, they've gone back to Perth. And I think we have to admit that that's a pretty big factor and always has been in Fremantle's wavering form. It must be a source of frustration for the Giants at this time of the year to play second fiddle to sideshow Ali and showbags because they've got to pack up and leave Greater Western Sydney for the Easter show and go down to Canberra. And I don't think that... It, look, during the good times, they, they were able to handle it, sort of. I don't know whether it was great, 
But under adversity, I'm. I'll, let's wait and see. But I think that might be a, a further impediment to them getting their seasons up and running. Yeah, it could be. And uh, also, and we've spoken about this before, but just that dependence on Toby Green. I mean, the only time they got a bit of spark about them at all was in the last quarter after the game was well and truly dead. And that was, as usual, through Toby Green. So uh, some of the other so-called leaders in that side really need to start pulling their fingers out because it's uh, the dependence on him is very, very unhealthy indeed. Uh, interesting times for the Giants. I don't think this is what many people were expecting when they appeared in the grand final in 2019. Question for you, Rowan. Is yep. Leon Cameron in danger? Yeah, I think he is. I do think he is. And I know, uh, you know, he's, he's got a deal that, that should see him safe. But I think, uh, I know I keep referring to that documentary, but if you see it, it's pretty obvious that things... You know, it, it's certainly light years away from the sort of relationship um, you'd say Chris Scott has with Joel Selwood or, or Damien Hardwick has with Trent Cotchett. You know, it's uh, Stephen Cornelio. He's had his own issues. Um, one of the other leaders in that team, Heath Shaw, now not part of it. I think he was pretty integral towards that sort of smoothing of relations between coaching staff and players. You know, they, they are in a bit of strife and... Look, I, I love Leon. He's a terrific fellow. But, um, yeah, I, I think if they were to get to a stage of being 0607, who knows what could happen? Because it's uh, I don't think it's a sort of operation that's going to survive necessarily having a few bad years after having put in all the spade work. So watch this space on that one. I'm not saying I've heard anything, but I could just see trouble afoot. All right, that is all nine games of round two done and dusted. But that is not all of football because, as we have told you every week, this has been a fantastic AFLW season. This weekend was the last home and away round, round nine. The finals to be sorted out, not just the composition, but the schedule of who would play in whom. Fantastic games ensued, and let's have a chat about them now. Well, an outstanding AFLW season deserved an outstanding climax, and that it got really tight at the top of the ladder all season, and it stayed that way right till the finish. Four teams, all finishing on 28 points, seven wins and two losses, separated only by percentage, and finishing as top dog and earning hosting rights for the grand final should they get there and a week off next week in week one of the finals was Adelaide who never topped the ladder at any stage of the season until after the last game. They had a big win over Collingwood Finey, costly win for the Pies because that knocked them from the top two and they will now play a cutthroat final next week against the Kangaroos who knocked off Fremantle by a point at home. Another big, exciting finish. That cost Fremantle a double chance, and they will be playing Melbourne in another cutthroat final. Melbourne beating Brisbane, who had a shot after the siren to win their game at Casey Fields, uh, unfortunately dropping short. Brisbane finish in second spot, so they do get a week off. Uh, direct passage to the preliminary finals. But of course, should they win, 
they will be playing another grand final away from home, which would be their third. Of course, they lost the first AFL, AFLW grand final to Adelaide in Adelaide, and they lost the second one to the Bulldogs in Melbourne. It was dramatic stuff, Finey, and um, what a fantastic season this has been. Uh, just at the other end of the ladder, Geelong recording their first victory of the season over the hapless Gold Coast to remain winless and end up with a wooden spoon after a pretty good season last year. So a dramatic downturn for them. But the top six teams on the ladder, clearly the standouts all season and is going to be fantastic final series spanning three weeks. Really looking forward to it. What would you make of the last round of the AFLW? Well, it's befitting of the season that we've had, as you say. A shuffle up in those positions means that Adelaide is primed to go on and win another premiership. The big question mark is, as we sit here tonight, Brisbane, who finished second, will they be able to play home finals? Because, of course, we're not quite sure of the status of all Brisbane sport. AFL and AFLW have to wait to see what respective governments come up with. This being said, you've got an Adelaide in the finals. So only a couple of weeks ago, came to Melbourne and got soundly beaten by Melbourne. There are cases to be made, I imagine, for every single combination of games in the AFLW finals going various ways with precedence from this season and previous seasons. It's, it's a blanket finish. If I had to be pressed on who I thought would win the flag, a couple of weeks ago it was Fremantle. Um, pole position makes that powerful high-scoring Adelaide hard to beat, doesn't it? Oh, they were terrific today. I did catch that game. Uh, they had winners all over the place. Anne Hatchard was particularly good. 22 possessions for her. Took six marks, kicked a goal. Uh, the sisters, Rochelle Martin and Hannah Button, were very hard in defence. They're a pretty tough team, the Crows. That is their big strength, I think. Collingwood's big strength has been its midfield trio of Brianna Davey, Jamie Lambert and Britt Bonici. Uh, didn't, they won plenty of the footy today, but didn't quite have the same impact. And Chloe Malloy up forward wasn't able to really convert opportunities into goals. So a great win by the Crows. And really, yeah, I think they probably, as a result, become flag favourites. One side you certainly wouldn't discount is the Demons. That was a, a terrific game against Brisbane. Brisbane led for a lot of it, but Melbourne had a particularly good last quarter. And this coming too, after losing Daisy Pearce very early in proceedings, and uh, yeah, she'd be looking pretty doubtful. I think that will be a big loss for them. But uh, the Demons, I think, have won four on the trot now and have hit their absolute best form at the perfect time. So it's all set up for a terrific final series. Melbourne and Fremantle, that'll be a great game. Collingwood and the Kangaroos, that'll be another great game. Adelaide and Brisbane sitting back waiting to see who they will play in those respective preliminary finals. The winner of Collingwood and the Kangaroos will take on Brisbane. As you say, we don't know where that'll be yet. The winner of Melbourne and Fremantle will take on the Crows. But uh, like I said, it's been a fantastic season. AFLW 5, this is the fifth season. And I think the finals, uh, if the previous nine rounds of football have been any indication it is going to be one cracking final series. Cannot wait for that one. 
That is football, men's and women's, wrapped up for another round, which leaves us with just one item left on the agenda. It's the item where we get all shouty. Yes, it's the rant-off. On Footyology, the rant-off. Okay, Finey. Uh, well, unlike me to jump on a bandwagon, but uh, I've got this one ready to go. Pretty excited about this one. Uh, you may have a little idea whom it is going to be about. Would you please count me in? Three, two, and one. I'm pissed off with the Sydney Swans, Finey. Who do they think they are creeping up on the football world like this and going from being one of the most dour teams in the competition to one of the most exciting? Yes, of course, I'm being sarcastic. And I'd like to point out from the outset that at least a few of us saw this coming. If I achieve nothing else in the 2021 season, I can at least boast that after two rounds, my decision to put Sydney in my final eight was sheer genius. I'm humble too. But a lot of the football world didn't. I'm pretty worried about a fair proportion of the football media. You know, those ones who don't actually bother watching the games. They've spent the best part of 20 years not watching the Swans and churning out the same old crap about Bloods culture, Brett Kirk, Jude Bolton and Kieran Jack and contested footy. Some of them are probably still doing it, despite the fact Kirk retired more than 10 years ago. It was pretty easy to wrap up the Swans in a bundle of well-worn cliches not to mention spinning the same stuff about eras ending if they failed to win a flag. But not anymore. Talk about transformations. Sydney's kicked 37 goals in its first two games this season. A couple of years ago, it would have taken them six weeks to kick that many. And it's coming off the back of a whole batch of exciting kids. Braden Campbell, Logan McDonald and Errol Golden are just the latest. You've got Justin McInerney, Sam Wicks, Chad Warner. One of the best of a lot in Matthew Ling can't even get on the ground yet. Then there's a group who've been getting the games ploughed into them for a couple of years, like Jordan Dawson, Ollie Florent, Nick Blakey and Tom McCartan. There's an army of them. In fact, forget the Swans. We should be calling this side the Signets. And geez, they're exciting to watch fly. The best part for John Longmire and co is that no one in Melbourne, well, in the media anyway, ever seems to bother keeping tabs on the club. It means that when things aren't going that smoothly, there's never as much pressure on as there would be were it a Richmond, Essendon or Collingwood. It means that Longmire can pick who he wants, play them wherever he wants and play whatever brand of footy he wants, free of any sort of public pressure. Swans fans in Sydney certainly aren't going to apply any. They're just eternally grateful this side, which was a basket case 30 odd years ago, has hardly missed a beat since then. Why wouldn't they show a bit of faith? The only people pissed off now are those ambulance-chasing media types who might have to actually watch the odd Sydney game instead of just reusing whatever line they were rolling out in 2016 about Josh Kennedy and Luke Parker. You know, last year was the first time the Swans had failed to make finals in consecutive years since 1994-95. That's so long ago, the only ambulances Tom Brown were chasing were out of his set of matchbox cars at kindergarten. It meant that when that other well-worn cliche about Sydney was rolled out at the start of this season, that an era was over, for once there was a decent chance it actually might happen. And now it looks like the Swans have stuffed that up too. Damn you, Sydney. You've given most of the football world too much food for thought and left much of the football media feeling embarrassed, as if they weren't already more than capable of doing that under their own steam. Very good. Now, Rowan, I yeah. hope you weren't including me in that group of 
um, slow, slow thinking media who didn't look. I know what you were saying. It's not a matter of tipping them for the eight. It's living in the past and thinking that there's still sort of a clog them up style football and blood spirit is what runs them and not the class that now exudes out of every pore. Well done, mate. Well, I know that you do actually watch the game, so uh, that gives you a head start on a lot. All well, right. I, you know, I sent a tweet out at half time yesterday and the tweet ended up by saying, uh, if you don't think we're on the verge of another Swans Premiership era, you better get with the program because yes. we are. On the money as usual. All right, get ready. Three, two, one, rant. To all those people trying to persuade the anti-vaxxers to change their minds and take the vaccine, I have a message for you tonight. Stop it. Look, we have got a once in a generation, no, not once in a generation, once in a millennium opportunity to wipe out a generation, a generation of bona fide morons. We can clear the decks, as it were, of all these moon-gazing conspiracy theorists. Now, I know wiping out an entire group of people, even conspiracy theorists, sounds a little like the game plan of a certain mid-20th century Reich. Clue, not second or fourth. But, now bear with me on this one, people. No one needs get the later hosen on. We don't need to put on the leather boots because these idiots will be killing themselves. No vaccine, catch the virus, no treatment. They don't like hospitals and don't even believe coronavirus exists, will ultimately result in death. It might take some years, but they will wipe themselves out. So really, it's more lemming than Hitler. Stupid, sleep-deprived lemmings. I mean, think about it. These people needed a public assurance from the government that the vaccine doesn't contain microchips so they can be tracked. I mean, what would that even look like? Orange juice with pulp? Listen, you internet-manipulated fools. If the world somehow makes good on the fantastic voyage, that science fiction movie, where scientists were shrunk down to microscopic size and put inside a human body, do you really think that the first scientists will take their pioneer journey in your pot noodle-addicted bodies? What are they going to explore? The vacuous wasteland that is your brain cavity? I don't think they'd be doing that. So let's stop appealing to all the nut jobs common sense. By definition, they don't have any. Let's stop trying to get these people to see the light. The anti-vaxxers must be allowed to anti-vax and then die. Tell them they're right. Bill Gates does want to enslave them. Scott Morrison does want them to join Hillsong. Of course, Daniel Andrews wants to rewrite their memory so they forget about the Westgate Tunnel fiasco. Tell them they're correct, that the vaccine will turn them from smart, aware, concerned individuals into brain-dead zombies. Hang on a sec. Brain-dead zombies manipulated. They already are brain-dead. Maybe they're right. Fluoride, 5G, vaccine. <laughs> Uh, very good, very good work. Reverse psychology, you can't beat it. Uh, no, there's a lot to be said for that uh, that philosophy, I think. Just leave them, leave them be. Anti-vaxxia, yeah. anti-vaxxia is a little hard to them. 
Well, I can think of a few politicians in Canberra at the moment we should uh, do that with as well. In fact, half of them are part of the uh, campaign you're talking about. So Hang on, that would be more lambing than lemming. Yes, correct. Uh, that name did cross my mind when you said that. Uh, very good stuff. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, great weekend of footy. Pleasure to wrap it all up for you. Uh, final thank you to our sponsors, Finey, if you will. There's burgers and there's burgers and then there's burgers, but the best burgers come from Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. They don't need ad men. They don't need any help from me in terms of promoting their product. All they need to do is turn the grill on. And when it comes to turning things on, why not turn yourself on to the best house in the street? Well, maybe, because a lot of streets have got Westport Properties, beautiful builds. So you'll have the equal best house. Good enough. Nick Spartels will make sure of it with Westport Properties. Thank you also to our partners for this AFL season. Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. Check out their work at their website. It's all free. And uh, we will be collaborating a lot with them throughout the course of the season. And thank you. Of course, to you out there, our faithful and loyal audience, we're very grateful for your support. You can become an official Footyology patron either through the supporter feature on this platform you are listening to this very podcast on or at the various links scattered throughout the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. Plenty of great reading there now. In fact, uh, we've got a terrific wrap-up of this round a print version of what you've just heard brought to you by Shane Hope and Gil Griffin wrapping up the exciting last round of AFLW Goodreads. I've just had a scan through them both and they're on the money as per usual. So check that out. Um, I hope your team had a good win this weekend and we will catch up ours with didn't. you. No, ours <laughs> didn't, but there's always next week or next decade in the case of us Essendon supporters. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you midweek. week